Is pursuing goodness always good? Another way to ask the question is pursuing righteousness always good? Or more specifically even, pursuing righteousness in the name of God always good? Some of you here may be pursuing goodness, right? Maybe you feel like you could be better than you are, or maybe you feel like you are not good enough, regardless of the standard, right? We're not going to address that quite yet. And so you visit the church, right? You come and try out this Christian thing. You are here sincerely. You are here passionately, maybe even, pursuing righteousness, goodness. Did you know that pursuing righteousness, though, can actually damn you? I know that might sound funny coming from the Bible preacher this morning, but it is true. Pursuing righteousness can actually damn you. This is exactly what our passage addresses this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 30, all the way to chapter 10, verse 4. And our passage this morning addresses when pursuing righteousness damns you. When pursuing righteousness damns you. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul in the mid-60s A.D. He's he's writing to Roman Christians in the mid-60s A.D. And he wrote, the Apostle Paul there, wrote this letter to Christians in hopes of partnering with them to take the gospel to Spain. You see that in Romans chapter 15. You can go ahead and look at that later on if you wanted to. Uh, And you see there that he wants to partner with this church to bring the gospel to Spain because the gospel had not yet been preached there. And so he writes this letter, even though he he had known a couple of the people at least here in the church of Rome. He had never been to Rome to visit these churches. So he writes this letter naturally explaining what the gospel is, right? What it is that he is that they ought to be partnering in the gospel and what it is that he wants to bring Uh, to Spain there. And as he writes, he encourages the church in the truths of Jesus Christ. He explains the content of the gospel, that sinners who have indeed rebelled against the one and only Creator can be saved all by God's grace and His mercy through faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for sins. If you look there at Romans chapter 1, go ahead and turn over there, Romans chapter 1. You can tell it seems like he is excited about this gospel, this good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. In 116, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But here's the question. What happens if righteousness, you hear that in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the righteousness of God is now revealed in the gospel. What happens if righteousness is sought apart from God's gospel? Even if it's done in the name of God, even if you are doing it in the name even of Christ, using religious things and Christian things. Well, once again, it can, in fact, damn Let's go ahead and look there. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. I'll go ahead and read that. He says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. 
but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's look at point number one, which is really our main point for today. Pursuing righteousness can, in fact, damn. Pursuing righteousness can, in fact, damn. We see that in verses 30 and 31. And here he gives the example of Israel, God's Old Testament ethnic people. And our passage begins with an implication of what Paul had been talking about previously. If you want to, you can go find those sermons up online. But here our passage begins with an implication of what Paul had been talking about in Romans chapter 9. God was bringing in Gentiles into his people and by and large passing over the ethnic Jews, those who did not believe. And so he says, what shall we say then? It's an implication. What shall we say then? The answer is, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. You see that contrast? It's, it's pretty plain, I think. If the Gentiles, though they did not pursue, you have this like running language and achieving language, attaining language. He uses that. It's like we're running a race, right? The Gentiles, though they did not pursue, they attained the non-Jews. But Israel, who pursued, they are the ones who ran, right, the fulfillment of the law of Moses for righteousness before God. They did not arrive at their goal. So we see clearly, right, pursuing righteousness before God can actually condemn. We know that they are not saved. That's why he prays there in 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is, uh, by and large, ethnic Israel, is that they may be saved because they're not saved even though they pursue righteousness before God, right? Not all who pursue get it. And even some who pursue are damned. If you're visiting, you're probably wondering, what in the world is this guy talking about? You know, maybe you're new to Christianity, you're exploring this, this thing about Christ, and you're like, what, what is this Jew and Gentile stuff like that? Friends, just know that in God's wisdom, God's plan of salvation had always included some Jews. We see that as we move on through Romans. Uh, but non-Jews as well, they are those who are called the Gentiles. They are the, or God's salvation plan included people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why Paul is on a mission to bring the gospel to non-Jews, that is the Spaniards. And you see that, it, that, even that fact was heralded in the Old Testament. That God would bring in people of different, tri- of different tribes, tongues, and nations into his people, the saved people. And that's why we had uh, Adrian read the passage that he did from Isaiah. There God says it is too light a thing for Jesus to merely save Jacob and Israel. No, he says, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. That's God's salvation plan there. So his plan had always been some Jews and also Gentiles. He's bringing them in. And you see this here happening in the first century 
as Paul was bringing the gospel. I mean, Jesus Christ had come, he had lived, he had died on the cross for sins, he had gotten up from the grave showing that uh, payment was paid in full for those who repent and believe. And so this gospel spreading here to the ends of the earth. In the arrival of Jesus Christ and his life, death, resurrection, God was fulfilling his promises and the doors of salvation were opened wide. In the first century, of course, the Gentiles who were not seeking righteousness, what that means there is that, you know, they didn't have a law of Moses. They weren't seeking righteousness before Yahweh. They were Gentiles. They were pagans, right? They were just doing whatever they wanted. And then so here comes Jesus. Even though they don't have the Mosaic law, here comes Jesus, right? They recognize that they're sinners. They hear the gospel heralded and they think, well, praise God. Here's Jesus, my salvation. He is the one, the righteous one who has been crucified, the one who got up from the dead, the one who will come back. Well, we should believe in him. And so they repent and believe. You see that in the book of Acts. You see that going on here. Uh, and so this is what's going on here. The Gentiles are believing. They're coming into the people of God. That's what it means there in 930 that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they have attained it. How is it? How do they attain it? How do they get this? Even though they didn't run, it's a righteousness by faith, right? They believe. Romans is a whole lot about belief in Jesus Christ. What's weird, though, is that while the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ, the Jews, though, by and large, as a whole, ethnic Jews, were rejecting Jesus. Now, take a minute here to imagine being a proud and moralistic Jew. That meant something to them. They had sort of those badges of honor that they wore so proudly as they were the Old Testament people of God by ethnicity. But, of course, we know that not all Israel is true Israel. But, nevertheless, they were boasting in this. They were the people of God. They had the promises of God, the covenants. We possess the law of God. We have the history. We got the patriarchs. We have Abraham. We have Isaac. And we have Jacob. Imagine then hearing that those Gentiles, the Gentiles over there, the pagan sinners, the dirty people, they possess right standing with God? And by doing nothing but believing in Christ? You know, if I were in their shoes... I think I would think two things. The first, I would think that that claim is utter ridiculousness. It would be ridiculous. And then secondly, the more I hear you people talking about this righteousness in Jesus by faith, I would then be deeply offended. This is what, it makes, this is what makes verses 30 and 31 so awkward. I'll read it again. Read it as if you were a moralistic Jew who boasted in the law and not in Christ. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did, did not succeed in reaching the law. Here's the contrast again. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteous standing before God... They attained, and the Jews who did pursue a law that leads to righteousness before God, supposedly, did not achieve it. They did not and never would arrive at their goal. Those sinners who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That's ridiculous. I mean, what right do they have? What qualifies them to have attained it? They don't possess pedigree, right? They're not of the Hebrew people. They don't possess the law of Moses. And on top of that, they don't even run the race right. They don't pursue, and yet they attain. It is ridiculous. 
And once again, if, if it is true, then all of a sudden the ridiculous moves to being offensive to me. Just think about it for yourselves. Think about it for yourselves. What if someone that you work with got that promotion that you think they did not deserve? They got the promotion that you thought you deserved. What, what then goes on in your heart towards those people, right? Maybe you are self-righteous. You have this air of pride. Maybe all of a sudden you become bitter against those people. Maybe even so much more, however you, you qualified yourself, you go out and set about working so much harder, right? You therefore measure up those people by your own list of qualifications or whatever it is that qualifies you. You therefore go and judge the other people. You, could, you, you maybe even put them down, at least in your own mind, because really they don't meet up to your own list of qualifications that qualified you, that gave you the right to the promotion. You know, we know what's going on in our own hearts there. We can imagine what's going on in the hearts of the Jews here, at least the moralistic Jews, those who did not believe. What happens there is that it becomes offensive. The thing that you so highly prize, right, thinking back to the work situation, the thing that you so highly prize, right, the thing that makes you qualified, all of a sudden is devalued. Your doing is devalued, right? Your qualifications are devalued. Your effort is devalued. The Jews had long labored for and slaved for a righteousness according to the to the law of Moses, that is according to their works of fulfilling the law of Moses. First five books of the Old Testament. And then you can think even more broadly, just in general, about the law as in the Old Testament. So here in much of Romans, Paul tells them that in effort to gain righteousness with God, it didn't help them one bit to climb up the ladder of righteousness before God. He's absolutely disqualifying them in their race. You ran but did not achieve and never will. So just imagine being told that all your works that you use as a means to gain right standing before God actually goes to condemn you. That's basically what they're being reminded of here. The Jews pursued right standing with God through the works of the law of Moses, but they never arrived and would never arrive. Now, right here, friends, that's specific, right? We're talking about Israel who pursued righteousness before God through using the works of the law of Moses, right? Righteousness before God uh, through works. Let's just back up for a moment and apply this here. Just back up for a moment and apply the general principle, the general principle that we see here that not all religious paths lead to God. I mean, you have the Jews who are doing things in the very name of Yahweh, the Old Testament, of the God that we see so clearly in the Old Testament, who is over all things, who is sovereign over all things, who gives his covenants with his people, and yet they don't get God. That's really instructive, isn't it? I remember one time sharing the gospel with a guy that I uh, had met in that hour, you know, in the course of conversation. We, I was talking to him about the gospel. He was a Muslim from the country of Oman. And he was, uh, some of you guys might remember the story. I've told it before many years ago. He was driving a group of us around uh, on his boat. You know, he was the captain of the boat in the Arabian Gulf, also known as the Persian Gulf. And so I struck up this conversation with him about the gospel. And he was telling me that he was a practicing Muslim. He was telling me that they believe in God and Muhammad as his prophet. And in the course of conversation, I asked him if he knew anything about what Christians believe. I told him I'm a pastor of the church there in that area. And he replied, yes, 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 we believe in the same thing. 
I actually replied, well, we believe in something totally different. And you know the difference here is it all boils down to who do you say that Jesus is? Of course, Muslims reject that Christ is the eternal Son of God. They don't believe that Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. But friends, this question here of who do you say that Jesus is helps us all. It should help us whether you are a Muslim or not. It is through Christ that we come to know God. Not all paths lead to God. I mean, Jesus himself said that I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way, the Bible says, to God is through Jesus Christ. And of course, we know that that's right because he is God eternal come in the flesh. He, God himself makes himself known through his Son who is taken on flesh, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way to God. Listen to this. In John 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is Jesus, and this Jesus came to dwell among us. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Then in verse 19, it says that he is the fullness of God, or the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In Christ, God was rescuing sinners, reaching out to sinners. So you see why Paul is so excited to talk about this gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, God pursues sinners. In Christ, we can know God. And all this talk about pursuing God and right standing with God, one reason why the gospel is, in fact, good news is because in Christ, God pursues us in order to give us the righteousness we need. He gives us, those who repent and believe, He gives us the righteousness we need to be reconciled to Him, the Holy God. So friends, if you are looking for some sort of righteousness before God, friends, know that you can know this God personally in Jesus Christ and be reconciled to Him. The Bible says that we need this reconciliation because all have rebelled against God. We've all rebelled against our one creator and maker. We've sinned against him by doing what we want instead of what he wanted. That's, that's, the, that's the great sin here, thinking and acting in effort to be autonomous, to be the independent beings that only God is. And so we create our own law. And our sin is a problem because in order to have fellowship with God, the righteous one, we need to therefore be righteous And we know that according to God's law, what is demanded of sinners is in fact perfect righteousness. But God being gracious and merciful, seeing our need, knowing that we need to be reconciled to him, and knowing that we need the righteousness of God, he reaches out to us in Christ. So the righteousness, friend, that you need to stand before God, Christ effects. The righteousness we need, Christ works and he accomplishes. And where we should have paid the penalty for our sin, right? We should have bore the wrath of God for our sin. Christ bears that upon himself because he is the only perfect and righteous sacrifice. So friends, you see that if you want to know God, you know that there Christ condescends to us that he might bring us to God. We know God as we look to Jesus Christ. Not all paths lead to God. You see how we are to pursue righteousness? 
let's say you appreciate some sort of morality before some sort of God, right? That might probably be many of us. I recognize that might not be some of us, but we definitely can address that and have addressed that in previous weeks. But some of us appreciate that some morality before some God. Well, friends, we can actually know God, the creator, through Jesus. We can actually have the righteousness by looking to Jesus Christ. And to look for righteousness or right standing with God any other way is absolute rejection of God, in fact. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, if you're visiting with us and you want to know this God, friends, this is why Christ came and why Christ calls you now to look at him, to repent of your sins and turn on him. And, and, it, and God promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord will, in fact, be saved. Friends, repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be justified, that is declared righteous, before your holy God, the creator. And you will know right relationship with him. Frankly, from our passage, though, we are to learn that other ways apart from Christ, other ways of pursuing righteousness apart from Christ, right, they doom us. This brings us to point number two. But before we get to number two, church, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, right? Now we're going to have kind of an in-house discussion here. But if you're visiting with us, I hope you appreciate this in-house discussion. We have been dealing with God's sovereignty and human responsibility, right? So much of Romans chapter 9 deals with God's election. That is God's sovereignty in choosing some sinners to be saved and therefore uh, passing over others. Something worth pointing out in our passage is human responsibility. You recognize that in our passage, right, God tells us here, Paul tells us, as he's carried along by the Spirit of God, he tells us why God was passing over the Israelites, right? He's explained this. Gentiles brought in, passing over Israelites. Why have not all of the Israelites been brought in? Well, God's purpose of election, Romans chapter 9. It is his choosing. It is his choosing to save some, even though all deserve judgment. But here is his second reason. It's not only God's sovereignty and election. Here in Romans chapter 9 and 10, it's on the Jews, right? Human responsibility. You can't get away from human responsibility in this passage. It says so clearly that they are the ones who stumbled over the stumbling stone. You see that in verse 32. They stumbled over Christ because they didn't believe on Jesus Christ. They are not saved. You see, they're in 10.3. They did not submit to God's righteousness, right? That's all on them. It's interesting, right? So there he holds together God's sovereignty and human responsibility. It might not necessarily be worked out to the degree that we might want it to be worked out. But nevertheless, he holds them both out to us at the same time. And I think that's evidence that they are compatible. Not only that, though. But you see here, even though God's purpose of election stands, it doesn't stop Paul in chapter 10, verse 1, from showing that his heart's desire, he desires that they be, be saved, right? That involves will. And then he goes on and he prays. He prays that they may be saved. It doesn't stop him from praying that they would be saved. No, actually, because of God's salvation plan, it actually moves him to pray and moves him to have this desire for his own kinsmen, that is, those of the ethnic Jewish heritage. So once again here, I think it shows both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Going back to point number two, 
Under what circumstances does the pursuit of righteousness spell doom? What circumstances here? Point one, we looked that it can, that not all pursuits of righteousness uh, save, but in fact some doom. But now point number two is what circumstances? I mean, speaking of the Jews, the manner of their pursuit was wrong. The manner of their pursuit was wrong. Instead of trusting in Christ and his cross work, the unbelieving Jews tried to get righteousness before God through their own works of the law of Moses. This again is this contrast that actually Romans 9 and 10 really sort of highlight. You have here the works of the law versus Christ and his work on the cross. Those are really the two things, and you can either choose our own works, or you can choose faith in the Christ and the cross work that was shown to all. So the Jews relied on, their, on the works of the law of God for right standing with God, instead of looking to Christ for right standing with the Almighty. So you guys might be asking, okay, well, why in the world is that wrong? The law of Moses was given to the people by God. It certainly was given to the people by God. It revealed God's character and how Israel's God's people was meant to live. But in doing the law of Moses, right, God never intended that they would secure salvation by doing. Never. I mean, we Christians know this, right? Just God was working in the, in, in the New Testament, so he works in the Old Testament. We too know this, right? How many of us think like, gosh, you know, I earn salvation by coming to church. I earn salvation by reading my Bible. I earn salvation by coming to evening service. No, we ourselves don't take God's commands in the New Testament that way. Well, Israel too was not to see it that way. You look over at Romans 3, verse 20. Go ahead and look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. This is a review of a function of a law, of the law. Let's just go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and look at verse 19. He had just made the case that not all are righteous, not even one. None is righteous. None do good. All are going to be standing under the judgment of God, even if they are obeying the law for in effort for righteousness before God. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why is that? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see that there? Through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law was to be an aid that not only exposed people's sins, but exposed them in order that we might seek the Savior. We see our sin because the law imprisons us, and so therefore we know, whoa, we can't do anything. So we need to seek help from outside of ourselves. We seek the Savior when our sins have been exposed by the law. So there it's an aid. The law was given to, to the blind so that we might know our true selves and so that we might turn to Him alone who saves. Friends, Israel did not use the law in that way. Look at what Israel did there, verses 32 and 33. It explains, I'll go back to Romans chapter 9, 32 and 33 explain verse 31. Go ahead and repeat 31. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if, as if it were based on works. And then you go there in 10.3. It says there, they sought to establish their own righteousness 
before God, right? So you see that they pursued right standing with God, not by faith in Jesus, that's the true manner, but as if it were based on works. It's the wrong manner. They opted for works of the law instead of faith in the person and work of Jesus. This is basically righteousness via themselves instead of righteousness via Christ. They chose works. But there's a domino effect going on. Right, if you choose self-righteousness, right, you guys know this too, there's a domino effect on it. If, if you choose self-righteousness, if you think you get in good with God by what you do, uh, there's a domino effect going to happen there, right? You're going to go and choose the instrument that gets you what you want, right? If you think salvation with God is undoing, you go and find an instrument that helps me know if I am doing or not, and that's what the Jews latched onto. They latched onto the law, in a wrong way, that was their ladder on which they worked. Thus the Israelites chose the law not on Christ, who fulfills it. And repeat that again. The Israelites chose the law and not Christ, who fulfills it. You see that in verses 30 and 31. Israel pursued a law. Sadly, though, they would never attain the very righteousness they desired. Because right standing with God right relationship with God only comes through Christ and his righteousness. Right? That's the whole point of the gospel. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Think back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Has been revealed in Christ and his cross work. Therefore, right, why would we want to look at our own work? If you have the revelation of God's saving righteousness in the cross and in Jesus Christ and his cross work, why would I want to look at my own work? God has already told us there is none righteous, no, not one. God has already told us that all are under the power of sin. He has already told us that the righteousness we need to be reunited to God only comes through Jesus Christ. And then Paul gives us another reason here in our passage. Why the Jews, or why you, if you continue to struggle with this self-righteousness or thinking that your own right standing, even though you are a Christian and have believed by faith in Christ, comes by works of the law right if you struggle to think that here paul gives us yet another reason go ahead and look at 10:4. it is because the law was designed to point us to christ the law's fulfillment look there verse 4 for christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes christ is the end of the law for or unto righteousness to everyone who believes that's why you can't look to yourself why would you rely on the shadows when you can trust in the reality? Why would you trust in these things that could condemn when its fulfillment is right here? You're trusting in something so subpar when you can trust in the beauties and in the glories of Jesus Christ. If you're wondering what this means, Christ is the end of the law, you could read the goal of the law or the culmination of the law. You remember the law revealed to man that there is none righteous, no, not one, and it pointed to the God-man who is righteous. It exposes our sin, even though we might not like it, and helps us turn towards the one who lived according to perfect righteousness, fulfills, fulfilled all of the law's demands. He was the perfect sacrifice, died on the cross as if he had committed sin, even though he had not committed sin. And so we look to Christ constantly. We are to look to Christ when we are faced with our sin so that we might behold the righteous one whose righteousness could be ours if we repent and believe. 
the law pointed to its culmination, that is Jesus Christ. Turn over to Romans 3, and you see this. Uh, verse 21. It says there, but now, but now. We're supposed to be excited there, right? We were to be judged and under condemnation under the law of God. No one will be justified in his sight through, the, through works of the law. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What is that? That is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is, uh, you know, even though this passage of Scripture does address the Israelites, I do think it's worth us addressing us as Christians today, us as a church. So the question for us is, if we are tempted towards the self-righteousness, thinking that we can get in good with God after we have sinned, right? Maybe some of you guys know that. We feel like if we've sinned, we can't just repent immediately. We have to somehow flog ourselves through some sort of manner and means or length of time, and then we're good with God. And then when we feel good with God, then actually we can go before God, go into his presence. Friends, actually, that's more of this temptation towards what the Israelites struggle with than we realize. That's almost like uplifting the pursuit of righteousness instead of God who is righteous. This is definitely an issue with many of us still today. I mean, we ourselves find ourselves like the Israelites, don't we? We go ahead and grasp onto other things to maintain our so-called qualifications when really what ends up happening is we lose sight of God and we are just stuck with the God of pursuit, as if it were. And God stands, though, ready and willing and so ready to say, yes, turn and look at me, friends. Look at me, children. And you will know once again the, my righteousness that I have credited towards you in Jesus Christ. It is almost absurd, absurd as saying, let's say, Melanie... Made for me, you know, our 15-year anniversary is coming up in October. Yay, praise God. Uh, what if she makes for me some beautiful piece of artwork, right, as an expression of her love and commitment and covenant to me? And she gives it to me on uh, our anniversary date, and I unfold it. And, you know, I know, I know that, you know, labor has been put into this. Hours and hours and hours of labor has been gone into making this thing so that I might appreciate her and think of our covenant and see a testament of her love, which is a reflection of Jesus Christ's love towards me. And I look at, at me as the art connoisseur just thinks, mm, put it away. Do you know, you know a place that really shows some good art? Let's go to LACMA, and we'll go see some art over there. Right? It's, it's the appreciation. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this thing of the pursuit of righteousness, and that's the thing that I want to pursue, and I want us both to observe. And she thinks, you're an idiot. Okay, she wouldn't think that. She's very kind. Uh, you're probably thinking of me. Wouldn't I be such an idiot? Wouldn't I miss the testament of love as I so snobbishly sort of judge this act of love by a qualification that I think is worthy of defining as righteous, whatever gives the right over here to be called good art and this over here to be bad. You know, we all understand that, right? Well, here's God showing his testament of love to sinners, saying, friends, what you need is 
ultimately Christ and his cross work once and for all. So he sat down making atonement for sins for all who would ever repent and believe so that you would never have to. You couldn't even work that work on your own. And so he says, look to God, look to Christ, and you will know this righteousness, perfect righteousness, friends, that you could never work in the first place. So friends, let's accept the law. Let's let it expose us that we might turn to our great and loving Savior and see God's love for us, his lavish love for us, in sending us his very own son to provide for us the thing that we need. That is righteousness, right standing before God. Anyways, Christ here is the fulfillment, the goal, the culmination of the law. So why would we want to trust in our own work? Why would Israel want to trust in their own work? Matthew 5, 17 he says there, Jesus says, I have, not, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Friends, God knows of no salvation that does not come through Jesus Christ. So you see, to wrap up, or at least to summarize this point, you see that there, are right, there is a right way and wrong ways to pursue faith or to pursue right standing with God. The right way relies on Jesus Christ, that is faith. The one who is a Christian is one who sees that because of their sin, they are not righteous. They cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of, our, of the God-given law. And so we look to Jesus Christ. We throw ourselves at Jesus Christ and his feet. The one who is righteous, the one who works, whose work sets us free as he is the fulfillment of law. And now we are to worship. Now we praise. Now we rejoice. Now we evangelize, telling all that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. What else is there to do? but to rejoice in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what the Gentiles did. Look in verse 30. This is what the Gentiles did. They were not pursuing. They were not running towards right standing with God. They were not pursuing righteousness through works of the law. Yet in hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and in believing, they got right standing with God. They were credited Jesus Christ's righteousness as they needed to be reconciled with God. And then you see also that there is a wrong way relying on ourselves and our work. It does reflect such self-righteousness, doesn't it? They reject this Jesus, and so it says there, right, Romans chapter 9, they stumbled. Romans chapter 9, verse 32, they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Here Paul, he takes two verses from the book of Isaiah and the theme there is this stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The point here is that for the Jews, Christ, the righteous one to deliver them was a stumbling stone. They didn't get it because they tripped over. Not only did they trip over, but they rejected the righteous. When it was not suitable, Christ himself was not suitable to their own self-righteousness. And therefore, according to 10.3, they did not submit. That's the grand indictment against the Jews. It is not God's election. It is their own lack of submission. They refuse to submit to God's righteousness You see that there? Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they refused to submit. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit. So it's clear here, right? The grand indictment, they refused and rejected the saving righteousness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This brings us back to Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that it is about the obedience of faith in Jesus. 
Paul says here in verse 2, they had a zeal for God, but sadly, it was not informed by knowledge. Last application point, actually, we conclude with this. How do we help those who pursue, or how do we help others pursue this true righteousness, right? Paul's desire, once again, is for them that they, may, that they might be saved. So how do we help others pursue righteousness in Christ? If we know that there are some around us, and there are some around us who pursue general morality before some sort of God, right? The very first thing that we ought to do is push them underneath God. That's what we talked about previously in our last sermon in relation to God as creator. We want to push our friends to understand themselves as man in relation to God. That's how we ought to think of ourselves. It's never man in relation to man as if we judge ourselves by our own standards or other people's standards. No, we want to push them underneath God and understand themselves to be man always in connection, in relation to their maker. Man underneath God. The second thing here, as you talk to them about Christ, talk about faith. Talk about faith in Christ, faith in Jesus. And this, friends, is exactly where Paul is going, right? You turn over to Romans chapter 10. You look there at verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between jew and greek for the for the same lord is lord over all bestowing his riches on all who call upon him for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame paul himself is going to belief but friends let me push a little further some of you guys might talk about faith but you guys know right we can define faith these days, or our culture around us defines faith in all sorts of ways. People even define God in all sorts of ways, so we want to go a little bit further here. You know that you are talking about faith well. Think about in your own evangelism conversations right now. Right? When did I last talk about faith? Did I speak about it well? You know you are talking about faith well. Of course, in general, we're talking about, depending on who you're talking about, talking to. But I think it is accurate to say that you know that you talk about faith well when you talk about faith in Jesus Christ that results in righteousness. Not just a better life, although I would say I live a more joyful life. Uh, You know that you talk about faith well when you talk about faith in Christ that leads to righteousness. It is faith unto righteousness. That's what what 10.4 says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness or unto righteousness for everyone who believes. Now let's go even further. Right in your conversations, do you talk about faith unto right standing with God? Let's go a little bit further. You know, you talk about faith well when you talk about the opposite. That if you do not, that if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, well, where does that leave you? You actually remain in unrighteousness. Are you talking about, are you talking about faith well? Do you talk about being left in unrighteousness? Let's say you're talking to someone who, just generally speaking, appreciates morality. Do you tell them, really, that before God, right, we're pushing them back under God, that they can never be righteous, that they can never be moral enough? And if they don't repent of their sins and believe on Jesus, have faith in Christ, the righteous one, they remain in unrighteousness. Go a step further. Romans 1.18, what does that say? It says the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and the ungodliness of men. Friends, you talk about the judgment of God. 
if you are removing the wrath of God in your conversations with other people about Jesus, if you are removing remaining in unrighteousness with your conversations with people about Jesus, then you've got to wonder, well, what exactly does righteousness with God look like? What's the content of it? Is it just a better earthly life or something? Like he gives you all of your desires as if you were like name it and claim it. Is it like a more joyful life or more purpose in your life? Friends, that's how you know you're getting justification, righteousness with God, right relationship with God, adoption into his family, forgiveness of sin, right, is if you can freely and do know how to talk about unrighteousness if you remain in your sin. The wrath of God has now been revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Friends, I think here you see Paul, right? He's trying to recover all of these things. And you see him land so clearly on faith in the righteous one and his righteous work. That's why Paul is so eager to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, that's why I think we all should be so eager to get to the gospel, get the gospel to our friends. Because Christ is the end of the law, the goal of the law, the culmination of the law, resulting in righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you, Lord Jesus, for being the righteous one, for doing all that we could never do and accomplish because we know ourselves to be sinners. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for being our loving Savior who knew that we could not do anything. You knew that we were hostile towards you, as Romans says. You knew that we were enemies of yours. You knew that we had labored so faithfully to wear your crown. And yet, Lord, you put aside yours in some ways to die on the cross for us and to save those who repent of their sins and believe, to credit us your very righteousness so that we would live in union with you. Lord God, you are so kind, so gracious, so merciful. And so, Lord, we pray that our desire here in this church would be like Paul's. Lord, we know that there are many people around us who appreciate morality and who are even striving for some sort of morality. Lord, we pray that we would help them see that their answer to righteousness before the one and only holy God comes in Christ the Lord and Savior, and His work. Help us see our works for what they are, dirty rags, as your word says, and help us see Christ for what they are, the beautiful jewels of the true gospel, that those who repent and believe on you, those who have faith, can be saved. In your name we pray, amen.